Refreshed from our coffee break, ready to listen to Gordy. For five minutes. You know. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pray um, for Gordy and for us as we listen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the words that you have spoken to us through Jesus, uh, from the Sermon on the Mount and through out the Gospels, all of the teaching that uh, he speaks. Pray, Lord, that you would give Gordy uh, the ability to articulate what Jesus has to say to us uh, today, and that you would give us the ability to listen attentively, that whatever is not uh, your word would fall away, and that only your word uh, would be here and be present and would come alive and grow forth in our hearts and would bear fruit. Uh, Thank you for the preparation that Gordy has put into this, and thank you for Gordy, uh, just who he is, uh, that you can use him and uh, put your word through him. Uh, We pray all of this trusting that you are a good and wonderful God who has sent Jesus Christ and has sent your Holy Spirit that you are present to us and not far away. Uh, Through Christ, we pray that we might be close to you. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Well, good morning, everybody. Again, it's good to be back. Uh, We were away last Sunday, of course, uh, with our daughter and and our our grandchildren. Uh, This time, we didn't have to fly 11 hours. We only had to fly one hour. Uh, It was cold. My shoes have really suffered in Calgary. Um, But uh, uh, Marcus is doing better. Uh, They're starting to put him in physio. Uh, We we, uh, had just an amazing time with our grandchildren. Uh, All the highs and lows that you can imagine in the circumstances that we went through. Occurred, including a very intense 24-hour flu, which last night I was still uh, suffering the effects of. And I found that uh, when you're, you know, you're still a little trouble, Bob, this is Bob uh, Berta's uh, advice. I just sipped on a little bit of rum all through the night. <laughs> so I take no responsibility what kind of insights are going to come out as I, uh, I preached. Uh, it didn't work too bad, Bob. Yeah, not bad at all. Um, I feel really good. Um, so, a couple of before we get into the sermon, a couple of favorite grandchildren moments. Uh, I have four. We have Kathleen and I have four grandchildren, and Samuel is eight. Annalise is six. Hannah is two, and Alina is six months. Uh, we went to the wave pool last uh, Saturday, and it's very moving with all that they've been through. With their daddy laid up in the hospital for the next year or so. Uh, for after we were done at the wave pool, Annalise, six years old, said, this has been the best day of my life. I, I, when I heard that, I just went, oh, my goodness. Samuel, I kept saying, Samuel, you rock. And he said, Grandpa, you roll. And every time he said that, I kind of instinctively put my hand to my stomach, and I thought, what does he mean by that? Okay. Um, 
uh, Hannah, she's a character. She's two years old. A couple of moments. Uh, Danielle brought her to the Foothills Hospital, beautiful uh, hospital facility in Calgary where Marcus is. And there's this massive waiting area, nurses station. And as they walk in the door, Hannah, two years old, Jesus loves me, this I know. I mean, she's so articulate and puts whole sentences together and and uh, the whole the whole receptionist staff were cracking up pretty good, and then I got to take her to, to with with Danielle and her little sister Alina to to get their immunization shots on the last night. It was Thursday night, and it's pretty traumatic, as you know, to take little ones to do this. And and Hannah, she was just being her entertaining self until until she got the the needles in her arms, and it was kind of like ah, like kind of like that kind of that kind of chance. And, but within a, within a few seconds, they had these really fancy bandages that they put on the children, you know. So you had three shots. And so there was two bandages here, one bandage here. And then she had to go out in the waiting She wanted to go out to the waiting room while her little sister got her shots. So she took her shirt off, two years old, with these bandages. And I, Grandpa was carrying her around in the waiting room with these really fancy bandages. And she was showing them off. Every, you know, it's everybody in the waiting room. And, uh, and uh, uh, be, became this one-person entertainment show. But after a few minutes, she'd say, I want to go see Mommy. So we'd go, I'd take her up to the door. And all of a sudden, she recognized it was the door where she got the shot. She, she went, uh-uh. So we'd go back, you know, and there was, there was teenagers in the place just cracking up. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And then little Alina, my favorite morning, my, she got the flu too. We all got the 24-hour flu. And uh, there's a blessing in that because you get to spend more time together. You know, you didn't have to go to school. And, um, but Alina, she got the flu and Kathleen had been hold, holding her. And all of a sudden I saw her whole bottle went, it was like the slow motion thing. Like, <laughs> it was beautiful. And, and it just all her, it just emptied out of her in this barf on the floor. And she, she had kind of six hours of, of discomfort. And so the next morning we heard her crying and I thought, man, I saw her the night before. Who is going to be the one that's going to go pick her up, you know? And finally nobody was responding. So finally I went and I opened the door and, uh, the smile I got was unbelievable, like from ear to ear. I mean, it just, uh, it just made the whole trip worth it. So we felt your love and your prayers, and, and while it was emotional and, of course, always hard to leave, uh, we've been so encouraged by just the, the, the way that, in spite of all of the pain of the last few weeks, uh, how God has been working. And uh, thank you for your, your prayers for us. So we're back. Uh, the other, the other, uh, uh, we got back Friday, and uh, and we're we're here for at least another month. That'll be probably before another trip. So, uh, yeah. And I listened to Joanna's sermon last night, and Peter did a great job. I, I was able to watch the PowerPoint while she preached, and just great job, Joanna, uh, last Sunday. Fantastic. Not only what you shared, but. Um, just the spirit, I felt just a, such a spirit of ministry on her. And by the way, have you met my new assistant pastor? Would you stand? This is Joanna, my new assistant pastor. So just, just in case you missed it, next Sunday we're going to be having a commissioning for her and Wade. 
on our oversight team and for Joanna as our assistant. And lots of family going to be there. And I've been bragging about you everywhere. So you have to, a, lot of lift, a lot of living up to do there. So just no pressure. All right. So let's... <laughs> so Matthew 5, let's go uh, into the Sermon on the Mount. We've been uh, in this all fall, and we're coming to the end of the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to take the Advent break that Joanna spoke about earlier uh, for, the, for the month of December, and then we'll get back into it in January. This is from Matthew 5. Let's all read it together. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, sorry, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, those of you that have taken courses in university or college or even high school, often what will happen is when the course is introduced, you get this kind of honeymoon period. And you have these clear objectives as to what you're going to do. But how many know often in the middle of a midterm or studying for an assignment or a project, you get lost in the details and, and it becomes a real grunge, you know, it's a real uh, grind and, and you can forget the course objectives. And, it, and it's kind of the same with the course with the Sermon on the Mount. And I wanted to just ask you, what were those objectives again? What was the objectives of this Jesus discipleship school? What was he going after? And when you have completed successfully this course, you will what? Be salt. Be light. And the result will be... People will see the Father. That was, the, that was what Jesus was all about is that people would see the Father. To him, the, the fundamental problem of humanity is we don't see the Father. We don't see what God's really like. And, and so he said, if you will successfully complete this course I'm taking you through, you will be a good representative of the Father. People will know what God is like. All right? So keep that in mind because it's going to be really important in this particular lesson, in this particular passage. Uh, if we get this right, people are really going to see God. People are really going to see what God is like. Now, how many have ever heard of the scripture, the Lord loves those who love themselves? Or, or the Lord loves, how does it, the Lord helps those who help themselves? How many have heard of that scripture? How many know where it's found in the Bible? It's found in the book of Hezekiah. Book of Hezekiah. Where's the book of Hezekiah? It's not in the Bible. That's right. Now, the reason I tell that story is because this is a similar thing. Jesus said, that for about the sixth time, I think, he introduces a section by saying, you have heard that it was said. And each time up to this point, he's quoted directly from the Torah. But this time, instead of quoting directly from the Torah... He kind of quotes from the Torah, from the Old Testament, 
But then he quotes a misquote. Like the Lord helps those who help themselves. That's a, this is a misquote. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So, sometimes as we're going along, little assumptions creep into our theology and into our, our way of thinking. And we begin to assume that it's, it's the truth. Our society is filled with those kind of assumptions. And, and in this particular case, for the first time, Jesus doesn't quote directly from the Torah in total. He, get, he does quote, um, love your neighbor, which of course is from Leviticus. But then the misquote is in hate your enemy. And this was a, began to be assumed by the Jewish people for one reason, because of those imprecatory psalms. How many, how many have heard of those imprecatory psalms? You know, you're reading, reading through the psalm and you're singing a psalm of worship and you say, oh Lord, I love you, and bash their heads and kick their teeth in. And, you know, <laughs> we, we have to realize God didn't say that. All right? That's from people who are distressed. That's from people who are hurting. And, and it's, it is a part of worship for us to get our anger out. That's, that's a very valid form of worship. But the Israelis, you know, there's one in Psalm 139. Oh God, do I not hate those who, who hate you? And, you know, and, 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 and so the, the Jewish people began to assume that that's how they were to see their enemies. However... How many have ever heard of this scripture? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him to drink. Is that from the Old Testament or the New? It's a bit of a trick question. Huh? Old? Veronica says? How many agree with her? She's right. Comes from the Old Testament. Now it's quoted in the New Testament... But that's an Old Testament scripture. Love your enemy. So again, for the sixth time, Jesus isn't introducing something new. He's just correcting misinterpretations of the Old Testament. And, and here he does it again. Now a lot of people say, well, if God said to love your neighbor in the Old Testament, or love your enemies, what about all that, you know, smiting of the Philistines and the Amalekites and all those bad dudes? How, what's all that about? Well, you, you have to acknowledge that, that some of those passages in Joshua are some of the most troubling passages in the, the Old Testament. But in context, remember God called Israel to bless the nations. That through Israel, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And where there was conquest, where there was judgment on cities, it seems to have been very limited and very time-bound. It didn't happen very much. And... It seems to have been in situations where cities and peoples had become very corrupt and had been given hundreds of years to repent. They committed child slaughter and sacrifice. The bones of some of the cities in the ancient Near East, or the, the walls of the cities, were filled with the bones of little children. And so it's like hundreds of years of God putting up with child sacrifice and, and detestable practices. And some cities were ravaged with plagues and diseases. And so for, with a broken heart, God asked his people sometimes to, uh, to uh, exercise judgment on those cities. But it was very limited. If you look at the whole context of the Old Testament, God's heart was for the healing and restoration of the nations. And of course, this comes to the fore more so in the New Testament. So Jesus says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, of course, we all know that this is from the Sermon on the Mount. 
There's also a parallel sermon from Luke called the Sermon on the Plain. So I call the first one, the Sermon on the Mount, the Vancouver Sermon. The one in Sermon on the Plain is the Calgary Sermon. So we got the Calgary one, the Vancouver one, the prairies and the mountain, all right? We're going to get both. Ghost dance, amen. We're, we're eating humble pie today. So Luke says this, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Um, and then Jesus gives this follow-up. He says, that you may be children of your father. Now, it's, it's not talking about us somehow earning the right to become children of God. What he's saying is, is that by doing that, you reflect your father. Just like you and I reflect our parents' characteristics, physically, whatever, personalities. It's amazing the little personalities of our grandchildren. We see, oh, there's uncle so-and-so, and there's, oh, that's grandpa, you know. And there's a lot of grandpa in all of them, I noticed that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, some grandma coming out of Hannah there. And, 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 and so Jesus was saying, there's... there's the characteristics of the Father will be seen, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because this is what He's like. This is what your Father's like. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's good to everybody. He's good to the undeserving. I love what Luke, how Luke says it. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. How many have ever met a jerk? <coughs> How many have ever met a blankety blank? Right? What is your father like towards them? What's he like to that jerk driver that just cut you off? Right? Jesus says he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's what your father is like. And so when Jesus says, you be like that, he's just saying, reflect your father. Let the world see what your father is like. But what is, what is the temptation when somebody's a jerk to us? Be a jerk back. Right? Right? We heard about it last week. Retaliate. So Jesus says, be merciful. So it's not about giving somebody what they deserve. How many know if we all got what we deserve... Eh, wouldn't be very good, would it? It's about mercy. As your Father is merciful, show mercy. All right, moving on. Now, Jesus starts, if there's any time that Jesus starts to get a little bit sarcastic, if he's ever sarcastic at all, it sounds like I begin to hear a little bit of sarcasm in Jesus' uh, words here. Not so much in the Matthew passage, but as we move into the Luke parallel, you'll, you'll start, I think you might start to see it. If you love those who love you, what reward of you? Uh, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the way Luke says it is, is just full of, it's biting. Listen to this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the pimps, crack dealers, and gangsters do that. If you want to make it graphic. 
says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Big deal. People aren't going to see the Father if you only love those who love you. Right? Because Paul, what did Paul say in Romans? For God showed his love towards you and me. You see, you and I have all hurt God. We've been unlovable and unlovely to God. And it says, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't love you and I when we turned him on or made him feel good. He didn't love us when he thought we were cute. He loved us when we were unlovely. He loved us when we broke his heart and he kept on loving us. That's what your father is like. And that's what brought us to repentance. That's what broke our hearts and said, God, I need to change my life. I'm going to stop Stop hurting you like this, right? So, if you do good, verse 33, to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in, so, in full. So, you know, if we go out on the street and we pass out food and we give chili wagon, people like us and pat us on the back and say, what a wonderful, beautiful church you have. But then all of a sudden, some neighbors start saying to us, you're bringing all the lowlifes into the neighborhood. And they start lying to us and lying about us. Right? Then what are we like then? It's an opportunity to look like our father. What do you do when people call you, people hate you and call you names and cast out your name as evil? Are we the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Now I know that there's a lot of objections to this teaching that are, I think are le legitimate. Aren't you enabling bullies? What about perpetuating injustice, trampling people's rights, violating boundaries? I think it's very important that we don't treat this as a formula, that some kind of law or rule. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us a key to conquering the world. He's telling us this is how I'm going to take over the world. By the way, he has an agenda. He wants to take over the world. Right? So he's not, I'm not saying, you know, our daughter suffered bullying in, in some of the high schools here in the city. And and, and actually, based on what I know now, I wish I would have acted a lot sooner. Thank God we did get on it, and we did act, and we got her out of one school and got her into another and got her into a safe place. And, and uh, thank God for Vancouver Christian School. She went there from grade 9 to grade 10. And then she went into Templeton like a house on fire and saw kids come to Christ, and she got strengthened for that time. But it was, it was a tough time, and we had to act. So I, I do not believe in enabling bullies. I don't believe in allowing kids to be bullied. And, you know, there's a lot of attention in the media on that right now. So, so Jesus is not some, giving us some kind of formula like just be a doormat and let people trample on you. He's giving us a strategy of warfare. He's telling us how we are going to win the world for him. How he is going to set up his kingdom on earth and it's through love. There's four things we need to know in this strategy. First of all, people are not our enemy. Paul said, for we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against unseen beings. I got good news and bad news for you. 
Every one of you has a personal angel that's been assigned by God to protect you and to watch over your life. And they are, they are constantly reporting to the Father how things are going. I got bad news. You also have a personal demon that's been assigned to you by the enemy to destroy you. And they have tailor-made plans. They've sized you up. They know your strengths and, their weak, and your weaknesses. And they know how to, how, to, how, to, how, to, how to get you, how to get your goat. Right? And, and uh, uh, Paul describes it as tailor-made plans, wiles, it's what the old King James used to say, what, uh, schemes for your defeat. So we, we are in a war. Right? Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that these beings that I'm telling you about are not your biggest enemy. You have a bigger one. Yourself. The greatest, most dangerous enemy is within. It's that part of you and I that, that cannot or will not trust that God is good. And that... that wants to take control of our life and take revenge into our own hands and, 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 and do it ourselves without His help, without trusting Him. And we get bitter and we get angry and get jaded. And we, we see people and the world through eyes of cynicism and, and unbelief. And so the fact of the matter is that no matter how powerful Satan is, he cannot defeat you and I unless he allies himself with, with our dark side, with our fallen nature, with our sin nature, and we, we default to that. The third thing is, to hate your enemy is to become, liked, is to become them. I, I, I actually uh, <clears throat> meant to correct this. I felt the Holy Spirit say, to hate your enemies is not to become like them. To hate your enemy is to become them. To hate your enemy is to become your enemy. Become the very thing you hate. And then finally, loving our enemies overcomes evil with good. There's a beautiful verse in Romans 12 that says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Can I say that again? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, Paul said. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and then Paul quotes that passage from Proverbs. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How are we going to conquer the world? I mean, the we, the we campaign is, is getting this. We overcome evil with good. I just had goosebumps last night as I was listening to these stories of how, how people are getting this understanding of overcoming evil with good. That's how Jesus' heart is, is that love... When you love your enemies, you conquer your enemy. Do you know why? Because your enemy becomes your friend. Now, sometimes it's a painful and long journey. But how did God conquer His enemies? We were His enemies. He died on the cross for us. 
That's how God wins His victories. It's the cross. There's a resurrection. Always. Always a resurrection. When you lay down your life in love. So, do not be overcome by evil. And the fact of the matter is, every one of us constantly have that choice, don't we? Constantly. Now, what does it mean when Paul says you will heap burning coals of fire on their head? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Well, scholars believe that a lot of the Proverbs were drawn from Egyptian Proverbs. In, the, in Egyptian folklore, walking around with a, a bowl of burning coals on your head was actually symbolic of repentance. That's what it meant. It was, a, it was like a, an action of penance or, or repentance. So it seems that what Paul is saying is that by loving your enemy, the hopes are that they will come to a place of repentance, that they will change their heart. It is the kindness in Romans 2.4, Paul said, it is the kindness of God, the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. I don't know if you guys know, there's a number of milestones that happened this week. I mentioned Randy, of course, passed away a year ago. Did you know that 49 years, is it 49 years ago? I think it's 49 years ago. Time is getting mixed up. Anyway, yeah, it is. 49 years ago this week, JFK was assassinated, right? 1963. And another, another person died on that same day, but he was overshadowed by the JFK assassination. Does anybody know who that was? C.S. Lewis. That's right. Died on the same day as JFK. We watched Narnia several times with our kids, our grandkids this week. It's great. I love it when a little boy writes C.S. Lewis and he says, I... I feel guilty because I feel like I love Aslan more than I love Jesus. And C.S. Lewis wrote back and he said, when you love Aslan, you're loving Jesus. Right? Had such a gift. But he made this amazing statement in the book, I think, The Great Divorce, where he says, the doors to hell are locked on the inside. You see, God doesn't lock anybody in hell. They lock themselves in And what repentance does is it gives you the power to open the door to your own hell. It's amazing, by the way, how much Jesus talks about hell in in, in all of these sections. I I don't think he's necessarily talking about eternal hell here. I think he's talking about the hell we create ourselves when we live a life of lust, when we keep the right to be angry, when we live lives that are always looking for vengeance and retaliation. We create our own hell. And so by loving our enemies, we are, giving, we are putting the door handle in their hand to open the door to their own repentance and to walk out of their own hell. The early church practiced this. Remember the story of Stephen? That this great young man had preached a sermon that was so convicting to the Sanhedrin. They, they, they dragged him down to a rock pile and they... They, they surrounded him and threw rocks at him. And there was a young guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And he was throwing the biggest rocks the most amount of times. And he was the most angry of them all. And all of a sudden he heard the words come out of Stephen's mouth with his face glowing as he's about to breathe his last breath. And he hears Stephen say, Lord, do not charge them 
for this sin. Forgive them. And all of a sudden, the memory of that last prayer that Jesus prayed as they nailed him to that cross, as he said, Father, forgive them. Because if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't be doing it. Jesus knew he was the Son of God. He knew that to be part of a crowd that would crucify the very Creator who'd come to the world was a terrifying reality. And he cried out for mercy for them. I've had to do that for people who've attacked me. And even though it's hurt to be attacked, I've realized as I've been attacked, God, they're in such danger. Lord, have mercy on them. It hasn't always been easy. But I know what happens when you harden your heart and you steal yourself to be blind and vengeful is you're in dangerous territory when people get bitter. I've seen, I've seen people grab pastors' hands and scream, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Because they held on to bitterness for years and wouldn't let it go. And they're dying in a hospital room of cancer, eaten up by bitterness. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You, you got too much for God's on your side. He loves you. He's for you. And love conquers all. Love conquers all. I remember growing up, my parents gave me this book by a guy named Sergei Kordakov, and it was called The Persecutor. And this was under the old Soviet regime where he, he would go around, and his job was to attack, to find Christians meeting and attack them. He'd break into their homes and, and catch them worshiping. And he had a, uh, one of these mallets, or what do you call it, a baton. And he'd start beating men, women, young people, children for worshiping God in, in, the, in the atheist state. And he saw so many people crushed and broken and thrown into prison and killed. And one day it all stopped when he broke into a home and he hit a woman over the back of the head and he was about to hit her again and he, he heard her say, Lord, have mercy on this man. And when he, he heard that, a hand grabbed his hand, an invisible hand. And he tried to hit her and he looked and there was no hand there and he just, he was shocked. And he looked at her and he said, what did you just say? She said, sir, I was just praying for you that God would bless you and heal you and have mercy on you. And it totally shattered his world. He ran out of the house, gave his life to Christ, fled to North America. It is said that one of the greatest reasons for the spread of the gospel in the first four centuries of the Christian church was not how... Yes, it was wonderful how Christians loved each other. It was wonderful how they cared for the poor. But the greatest reason for the spread of Christianity in the first four centuries was how they responded to their persecutors. That just shook the Roman world. Shook them. Last week, uh, Joanna mentioned St. Francis. One of the stories... I want to tell about another story. And this is during the Crusades... Church ordered wars against the Muslim world in the Middle Ages. They're attacking Jerusalem. Christians are attacking Egypt. In the middle of it, St. Francis of Assisi, this little guy who took all his clothes off in rebellion against his father's aristocracy and said, I'm going to follow Jesus, put on some rags. And he started the Franciscan movement. 
In the middle of the Crusades, there was this big war against a, a major city in Egypt. And, 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 the, and there was such a, a stalemate that the Muslims and the Christians called a, a ceasefire. And during that four-week ceasefire, St. Francis trips along, walks across the enemy lines, walks right into the Sultan Palace. The, the, the Muslim sultan. And he's so ridiculously vulnerable and weak, they, they don't do anything to him. And he becomes best friends with the sultan, loves him, and dialogues with him about Jesus. And we don't know what happened to the sultan, except rumor is that on his deathbed, that sultan gave his life to Christ. But you know that since that time, this is the 1200s, the Franciscans have always had favor to operate freely in the Middle East. Always. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. How many know this guy? Martin Luther King. It's amazing when you drive through major U.S. cities now. Every one of them has a major thoroughfare named after this guy. But in the Birmingham, Alabama protests against the unjust laws of segregation where black people were not allowed on buses in certain parts of the city they began to stage peaceful protests, nonviolence, and the police began to use high-pressure water hoses and dogs unleashed were even unleashed on small children. Pol vicious police dogs were released on little children in these protests of violence, of, of nonviolence. And the police responded in violence. And I read a quote by Martin Luther King in the middle of that, th that activity uh, in the Vancouver Sun just a few, uh, couple of years ago where he said, you can spray us with your hoses, you can unleash your dogs on us and you can, on our children, but there is nothing you can do to make me hate you. We will keep on loving you. <laughs> what do you do with that? What do you do with it? He won. He won. He won. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, Martin Luther said. King said, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So, in conclusion, keep the goal in view with this loving of our enemies. It's not meant to be formulaic. I believe that we, we need to constantly rely on the Holy Spirit. I've had people turn on me, people who were my best friends, become people that just viciously hate me. And sometimes I've tried to practice, you know, I've tried to practice this stuff about loving them, and even that's been thrown back in my face. But they can't stop me from loving them. They can't stop me from praying for them. Some people that have alienated and walked away from me, you know what I've done? I've had dreams about being reconciled with them. And I keep praying for it. I know sometimes it happens. It takes years, sadly. But I'd rather take years than not at all. So remember, the, the goal in view is that we be a reflection of God, that we want to win the heart of a generation. We're not here to win. We're here to win the heart of our generation. And finally, we want to make sure we're dealing with our stuff, dealing with our own unbelief, our own lack of security in God's love and care for us. So what I'd like you to do is, is to, where do you find yourself hesitating to desire and pray for blessing someone? Is there, you know, when you say, oh, Lord, bless, and, and Lord, I want good, and I want this person to prosper and, and do well, and, and then all of a sudden there's kind of like, <gasps> right? 
If that occurs, as you ask the Lord for a heart search, return to the first beatitude. Remember we said, always keep the prerequisites. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is the first beatitude? Ask God to show you places where you need His mercy. See, whenever I have a hard time forgiving somebody, I say, Lord, could you remind me how much I needed mercy again? Could you, could you just remind me? And boy, does he... He's very good at that. Oh, my God. Right? Every day I need his mercy. Every day. I, I, my own sinfulness and my own rebellion, my lust, my pride, my arrogance, my ego, my insecurity, my self-consciousness... Puts me on my face. And I say, oh God, have mercy. So if you're having trouble forgiveness with forgiveness, ask God for a little reminder lesson. And then when he's done that and you've received fresh mercy, extend it. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Why don't we all stand together and just, let's pray it, the Lord's Prayer. And when, when we have finished praying it, what I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow up with Jesus' quote. We're kind of going ahead a bit in the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to follow up with Jesus' quote because I think that it's really important for this message here. So let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Jesus followed up by saying, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father will forgive you your trespasses. Or to put it negatively, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your trespasses. Why? Because you and I are like an elbow pipe. Forgiveness comes this way and flows out this way to others. Comes this way from God, flows out towards others. When you block the flow this way, it can't come in this way. Simple. Isn't that a great elbow pipe? Right? So, Father, would you remind us afresh today of how much we need your mercy. If you're here today and you just, you feel like maybe you, you know, I, I, the reason why it's so important is I realize some of us have been really hurt deeply by people. If you think about the person in this, in your life who's hurt you the most, some of you can hardly stand when you think about the memory. And that's why you need, you know, even for Marcus's accident, I find that our, Mar there's people in my family that are needing trauma counseling. It's traumatic. You get, da you know, damage. Damage happens. So you can't make this a formula and say, well, you should forgive and, 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 and the should, should, should language. As Joe Calder used to say, don't should on me. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's, it's not about that. It's the heart. It's the heart of God asking him to show his mercy in, 
in and leading us into paths of healing. But if you're here today and you'd like extra soaking prayer for that, we're going to open up the front for that. Just welcome some of our prayer team, eldership, oversight team to help me with that and be available. Just come and stand or sit here at the front. Or just turn to a friend and, and have them pray for you. Are there any words? Anything that anybody's sensing? Just the Lord's giving you? It's not going to be long. It's just, you know, when we went to Calgary, I, Epic uh, Community that hired Marcus, this was in my heart. I didn't even want to talk to them. I was so distraught and upset. I, and I had this thing running through my head. Why didn't he have a safety harness on? Why was he alone? Why was he in a remote area? Good grief. He's on the roof alone. And why wasn't he working with somebody? So you're thinking about all these things, but you can't go back and, and change it. But, you know, the best thing that ever happened was the guy, that one of the leaders of the company, actually phoned Gordy and I. And we had a really heart-to-heart talk with him. And, he, and all of a sudden, my heart started to open up. And so this whole thing that Gordy's talking about, you know, when he, you talked about it, I just feel it's so much in us. It, it, when we are so deeply hurt or disappointed or fighting issues, if we just think about all the negative part of it, it, it you know, you're talking about, I think that's the whole part of the, being obsessed with it. And then all of a sudden, it gets in you. And I found that when I was getting up, semi-obsessed with the, why Epic did this or why this didn't happen, I was becoming a totally different person. I was getting really hard. I didn't want to smile. I wasn't in, interested in even talking to any strangers. And I said, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you know what? If that happened, if that continues to happen, I'm going to become a very angry, bitter, or a, you know, an empty shell of a person. And so, you know, the, the Lord is undertaking. And uh, so that's the one point, that, that you can become very obsessed with that issue. So whatever it is that's trying to grab a hold of you to make you upset and angry and mad and disappointed and bitter, let's pray it off of each other. The second thing is that we found out that, like, Marcus should have technically be dead. But, like, you know, people like Dixie, she, she actually saw a hand, the, the hand of God. Uh, hold him so that he, his, you know, he, he's walking out of this thing with no bleeding on the brain, no brain damage. Com, you know, he's going to be restored. It's going to take a while. But, like, there is, there is an angel watching over you. I don't know how many of you guys have actually been talking to your angel lately. I just feel like we need to know that God has got somebody right there for us, too. So I, that was the other thing that I just felt when you were talking about was just highlighted that we just really need to, we often think it's up to us. Uh, Karen was really right on about that in, in worship. So we just need to really stand strong in Jesus being there to intervene and our guardian angel, right? So I just, uh, I don't know if that's too general, Gordy, but just highlighting those issues, standing and being open. I found that the other thing is I wanted to hide that inside. But finding a way to talk about it really helps. Mm-hmm. And I think as a church, and this is not something Gordy Gibosh should carry or the chili wagon, I think as a church, we need to reflect on where we've been attacked. And, and by and large, we have favor in this community. But where those attacks have come, the way the early church used to approach it is they said, aha, Saul of Tarsus, eh? he's attacking us. God is singling him out. God is singling him out. And I think we need to take that more seriously. 
where, where those attacks have come. It's so easy to say, ah, oh, those bunch of nimbies. Well, what are we doing when we do that? We're, we're becoming like them. We're becoming like them. I, one of the greatest joys I had was CBC interviewed me about the attacks that were coming against these neighbors. Remember, they were being leafleted and, and somebody was saying pretty, pretty ugly things about them. He said, and CBC asked me, they said, uh, is your church involved in those attacks on those neighbors? Because they're the ones that attacked you. And I said, absolutely not. And they said, well, why not? I said, because we don't fight our battles that way. That's not, that's not how we deal with things. That's, that's not the way we work. It was just a simple opportunity just to bring the kingdom of God. You know. But can we go beyond that and overcome evil with good? So Lord, would you give us wisdom in that? Would you, would you breathe fresh life? And for those of us, Lord, that are, are being persecuted, would you teach us how to pray for our persecutors? Would you show us spirit-led actions, Lord, to overcome evil with good? For those that we're just so angry at, Lord, we're just so bitter at, we're just so hurt by that we've had our trust violated and we, 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 just, we just don't know, our, our emotions are literally frozen. Would you come and bring a spring thaw with your mercy today? May we be a house of mercy, Lord. Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It's a, it's a, it takes courage. It takes, it's challenging. It's costly to follow Jesus in this way. Would you give us the courage to do it in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're going to formally dismiss uh, this part of the service. So if you have to go, uh, pick up your kids. We bless you to do that. Don't forget the bake sale for our Burma Orphanage with our friends from Moskrop. is happening right after the service, so you can pick up some stuff on the way out. Uh, otherwise, please uh, pray for one another and grace, peace, and mercy.